Festival culture in BC is huge. Every year, you hear about more and more festivals popping up, but you also hear about festivals shutting down or taking a year off because they haven't been profitable. Here in Victoria, we have tons of festivals throughout the year. Most of those festivals are nonprofits, meaning they rely on grant funding to operate. And then there are a couple for-profit festivals, put on by the music promotion company Atomique. They run Philip's Backyard Weekender and Rifflandia. We wanted to know, what makes a festival sustainable year after year? How do organizers make sure their festival is relevant and profitable? And how does the difference between for-profit and not-for-profit festivals factor in? You're listening to All Access on CFUV 101.9 FM. Broadcasting from Victoria on the Songhees and Husanich territories of the Lekwungen and Sinchothan speaking people, whose relationships to the land continue to this day. On this episode, we're exploring these questions, and we'll look into how different types of festivals contribute to the music landscape in Victoria. First, we spoke with James Davis. And I'm the founder and director of the Victoria Bicycle Music Festival. The festival actually started in Toronto, and when James moved to Victoria, the Bike Fest did too. It's a free, one-day event. And it's in its third year running. The sound system for the festival is completely powered by, by people, by audience members. So we have three or maybe four generator bikes we'll be using this year um, that create all the electricity for the speakers, the monitors on stage, uh, and also run any pedals, keyboards, anything else on stage that the, the musicians bring. The event starts at Pioneer Square. Which is downtown beside Christchurch Cathedral. Uh, there's a couple sets of music that happen there. And then we ride as a group over to Porter Park in Fairfield. That's uh, the park behind Sir James Douglas School uh, where the Moss Street Market happens. Uh, so we'll be in that park uh, for the remainder of the day uh, with a few more sets of music, including our headlining set by Ray Spoon. The festival happens in July, and James is very committed to making it a low-impact event. Yeah, I think... Um, Number one, it showcases how festivals, I think, can lighten their footprint, um, especially with some of the bigger festivals. You see there's a lot of power consumption for all the, you know, the racks of, of uh, subs and line array speakers and all the lights and all that stuff. Um, but then also the, the other consumption that goes along with, with having a big event where you're bringing lots of people together, um, lots of people driving their cars there, lots of people consuming lots of food and disposable um, disposable plates and, that, and cups and that sort of thing. Um, so we roll into a park on our bikes carrying all the gear that we need on two wheels several sets of two wheels, um, and we set up. We don't have staging. It's it's really low impact on the physical environment that we're entering into. And as I said, we produce, um, through the, the legwork of the people who are there at the, the festival, we produce all the power that we need. So it's, it's not something that's necessarily realistic for really big festivals, um, although there are some festivals that, that run pedal-powered stages that are quite large. Um, but I think it, it's, it's an opportunity for people to think differently about a musical experience and about um, how they want to be entertained. And not having a stage where artists are separated from the audience changes the experience for the audience. It gives people, um, the audience members, a real unique opportunity to interact with the event and with the artist because they're on on. You know, the, the musician is standing there on the grass um, playing their instrument and they're 
15 feet away riding a bicycle powering that and and it, there's there's a lot of feedback there because uh you know if you're not playing music that the audience is gonna ri- enjoy people might not pedal for you so um there's that nice little piece of interaction between between the musician and the audience it breaks down that wall you know they're not elevated on a stage in front of you it's a much more community feel Another thing that's important to James is prioritizing underrepresented voices in their lineup. Victoria is um, in in many ways a pretty white city, um, but it's not actually, it's got that reputation, but it's also, I think, becoming more diverse and it's more diverse than people give give it credit for or, or realize. Um, and so we've, we've tried to make sure that the artists that we're booking um, are, are representing a variety of, of um, you know, uh, so a diverse, diverse array of musical genres, um, gender, uh, cultural backgrounds, language even. Um, so voices that might not be heard ordinarily, um, we're doing our best to, to give a platform to those and also to, to support those people financially through the, the bit of money that we do have for the festival. The Victoria Bike Festival is a platform for lesser-known and underrepresented artists to play to new audiences. Yeah, um, I think it's an opportunity for artists to maybe reach out to an audience that they wouldn't normally uh, be able to play for, um, because we, um, you know, there, there's like definitely a lot of work that we still have to do to work, uh, reach out to various communities across the city um, to to draw them to the events that we do. Um, but we try to bring a pretty diverse uh, set of people together for, for this event. Um, we definitely have a wide age range, like there's families. It's one of my most um, treasured memories from festivals over the years is seeing like um, a parent and their kid cycling together, probably for the very first time, some of them through downtown or stories of uh, people who've never really ridden their bike in a group before. Um, so bringing people together to listen to music who you might not see together at, a, a, at another music festival. He also wants to create more space for local artists. I think, I think it also gives opportunities um, because we're not, uh, we don't have a huge budget and we're not looking to book um, you know, acts that are, that are going to draw hundreds of, of ticket buyers. Um, we don't have the same pressure to to you know book well-established acts we can book folks who uh, are up and coming and maybe need a platform Um, like local artists that yeah and our so our focus is really on victoria-based uh performers um and and over the years like in in toronto the very first year we did the the festival a band called the strumbellas played um and they're now like sort of international superstars so that's not going to happen with everybody necessarily um but it's fun to see sort of um you know i'm not going to take credit for the, the success that they've had but i think it is um it's interesting to give give bands who are in the early stages of their uh, career an opportunity to showcase their um, their art in a very unique way. It's something that gets people's, you know, it's not just another music festival. It's people walk by on the street and they see people pedaling on these bikes that aren't going anywhere and they, what's going on? Um, so, and, and also the mobile portion. So riding as a big group through downtown to get to the next park is something that catches people's eyes as well. He tries to keep the operating costs low, but that doesn't come out of the artist's pay. Um, you know, we're also trying, like I said, we're trying to support um, artists that aren't well known and maybe, um, you know, 
they're probably not making a lot of money off their art and, and we're not able to pay them a whole lot, but we, we make it a priority to, I, I don't have the figures right in front of me, but I'd say we probably spend like 75% of our budget goes directly to artists, if not more. Um, if you consider like the, the folks that design our um, poster and the folks that do sound and that sort of thing, like it's all keeping that money in the community. Um, and it's an experience for some community building. Like over the years in Toronto, a couple of the, the performers that played uh, became really involved. They were, they ended up being like co-artistic directors for the festival. Don Kerr, who's um, an amazing sort of one of the Toronto music scene luminaries who's played with Rio Statics and he tours with, with Feist and Ron Sexsmith and Dan Mangan. Um, he's now a big part of our festival because he played there with his band uh, called Communism a number of years ago and was just was stoked on it. Um, and this similar thing happens here um, where where we're trying to build a bit of community in the artistic community uh, scene as well here. And the Bike Fest has always been free. It, for me, it was never an option to charge people for something like this. Um, you know, it happens in public parks. I think the the logistics of lo- alone of trying to coordinate off so that people, you know, have to come through a ticket booth and pay to get in there just wouldn't make sense. Um, and for me, uh, the beauty of it is that it's accessible. Um, you know, we do our best to, to find, even though we're in park park situations we try and find places that are accessible to folks with varying levels of mobility um and the 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 fact that it's free it's by donation so people we do pass a helmet around during our intermissions and hope that folks can uh who are able can support us financially uh, through throwing some cash into the helmet um but our goal is to make it accessible and so um when there's a lot of events that that cost quite a bit of money, like you know, a one day festival now costs like 75, 80, 100 bucks mm-hmm. more than that sometimes. Um, so yeah, it's a different it's a different vibe to it. It's you know, for me, it's never been about making money. I've been doing this for ten years now, and there's been a couple of years when I've had a little bit of extra budget to pay myself a small honorarium, but I'm definitely not getting rich on this. So um, it's it's all about sharing music with people and bringing people together in community. And because community building is the focus of the festival, it's important to him that the event doesn't become commercialized with corporate sponsors. We've always had support from community arts councils and um, municipal government and that sort of thing, but we've never had big corporate sponsors. And one year, Coke came along when I was running the festival in Toronto, and they they approached us and said, you know, we've, we've got this project where... Um, it was, And it actually... Sounded like a like if it wasn't Coke doing it, I would have been like, oh, this sounds kind of cool. They were picking, um, I don't know, a hundred community uh, events across Canada that they were going to support financially uh, and tell stories about, um, and also have big Coke tents and give out free Coke and that sort of thing. And so it was in some ways not a hard decision at all because I knew that I didn't want that vibe. Um, but I purposely didn't ask them like what level of funding they were <laughs> proposing because I didn't want to know. Um, so yeah, not having people shove a bag of free stuff that you don't want filled with paper and plastic um, in your face. Uh, it's not having that commercial aspect, I think, is important for me in a festival experience, and that's what we try to create as well. So turning a profit is not high on the list of priorities. Like, for me, it's never been a huge focus, um, but we do have to sort of hustle, um, especially so in in Toronto, we were an ad hoc artistic collective, and we were able to apply for funding from 
the, the municipal and provincial arts councils um, as this sort of ad hoc body. Um, there were some grants we were eligible. Here, we haven't found that type of funding that we can apply for directly, um, and we haven't gone through the process of becoming a, an actual nonprofit society because it's in some ways pretty arduous and there's costs involved in that and um, yeah so for for a one you know we do some other events throughout the year but we basically for a, a one day event having a whole society um, where we have to have board members and do meetings and whatnot it adds another layer so we're not a nonprofit in the moment so it means we partner with other nonprofits um, and it can be a bit of a hustle to try and find funding for that. We we have a really small budget, and like I said, most of it goes directly to the the artists. Um, but I'm proud to say that this year, like I think we're actually, and, and all years actually, we're able to pay folks pretty well. Despite not being an official nonprofit organization, they have been able to secure some grants. And we got some funding from uh, the. Amplify BC uh, grant. They did some Let's Hear It micro grants. So we got one of those, which has allowed us to have a, a bit more uh, flexibility and, and pay our performers more than we thought we were going to be able to. And James has learned a lot about organizing and collaboration through organizing the Victoria Bike Festival. You know, I 10 years ago hadn't done most of this stuff. I've learned how to build a bicycle-powered sound system and how to kind of do sound. We have a really awesome uh, sound technician, Jay, who's one of our organizing team as well. Uh, and Jay, they really, they know what they're doing. Um, but I can, I can, you know, roll, roll up uh, cables and set up mic stands and do a bit of this and that. Uh, so that's technical stuff that I learned just from being around uh, the festival and, and having to do it. Um, yeah, and relationships, I think, has been part of it. I'm, and I'm wanting to learn more about that, about how to bring in other partners and get more people involved um, and how to delegate is one thing that I'm still, it feels because it's, it's uh, again, like a side project, a lot of times it feels like it's much less complicated to just do something myself than to find somebody to do it. Um, but delegation is awesome because it brings more people or collaboration. Delegation sounds a little bit hierarchical. Um, collaborating with other folks and, and allowing them to do stuff uh, helps them to develop new skills and um, you know brings, brings more people into the community of what we're doing. It's worth it to James for the community impact, even though it can sometimes lead to burnout. There was a few years ago in, uh, when I was doing the festival in Toronto and I also organized um, the first of three tours by bike that I did. So we rode, there were three musicians and I that rode from Toronto to Ottawa. So that's 550 kilometers we rode carrying the sound system and all of the instruments on our bikes. Um, we did have power assist on two of the, car, the, the cargo bikes that um, we still, I got some pretty big thigh muscles after that trip. Um, so yeah, I was doing both of those at the same time and, and uh, organizing the festival and coordinating this 10 stop tour by bike and then being the tour director and it was all a bit much. And I kind of that year said, oh, I'm never going to do this again. And then I just have so much fun doing it. And it, uh, to me, it's... Um, it's my way to get back to the community um, in some some small way and trying to trying to evolve what we're doing to be more conscious of of uh, dynamics of race and class and all of the um, 
you know, different levels of inequality that, that happen in society, trying to take those into account in some way and make the world a little bit more just and beautiful in what way we can. Community-oriented events with low environmental impact like this one are much easier to pull off on a small scale, and those values are central to the Victoria Bike Fest. I think um, it's much easier to be anonymous in a huge uh, crowd um, in an event when there's, you know, hundreds or thousands of people, uh, and a smaller event in a park um, or, you know, a public square uh, or even smaller venues. Um, there's just a, there's a comfort level that allows people to maybe be seen and feel heard a little bit more. Um, and, you know, if you're sitting on a blanket, maybe somebody will come and sit next to you and strike up a conversation. There's just a good vibe, you know? There's not a lot of pretension and uh, ego or people, you know, trying to, trying to prove themselves. It's, it's like, it's a community vibe that I'm looking yeah. for. So for me, it's like being able to share with the world my vision of, of a different future. Um, and I also get to dance in the grass and experience some fun music and work with some really great people. We have an awesome organizing team and getting to know musicians. It's, it's been a really great way for me to enter into um, life in Victoria as well. Like I moved here in October of 2016 and the following summer, like basically a few months into living here, started to organize the event. And so it's been a great way to meet, meet people in the music community here because I didn't really have connections um, and in the cycling community and I'm just meeting people in general through, through throwing fun events. The Victoria Bicycle Fest happens every July. You can follow their Facebook page to get updates on the next event. Next, we spoke with Daryl Marr, the executive director and artistic director of the Victoria Jazz Society. They have a different approach to running a nonprofit festival. Our organization presents uh, two festivals in the summer months, the TD Jazz Fest International, as well as the Vancouver Island Blues Bash. Jazz Fest is a long-running festival that's been happening since 1984. Prior to my involvement in uh, uh, founding the festivals, I um, re-founded the Victoria Jazz Society in 1981, and my fondness uh, for jazz comes from my love of music, and jazz in particular, and I started listening to jazz music when I was 13 years old, and prior to my uh, involvement in live music, I was um, in the retail record business, operating... uh, an independent record store, and then becoming a uh, manager at a chain uh, record store. And my specialty in music has always been jazz, as well as classical music, blues, and world music. As a nonprofit, Daryl said the monetary aspect of putting on the festival every year is what he finds the most challenging. The, the major project for the Victoria Jazz Society was to raise enough funds to present our first concert. And um, um, I raised the funds through people joining the Victoria Jazz Society, and uh, we then raised enough money, I think it was about $5,000, in that first uh, year to present our very first concert. 
Like membership dues? Those are membership dues, and we still have, you know, we have continued with the Victoria Jazz Society membership for, well, almost uh, 36 years now. What uh, percentage of the, the funding comes from that today? Oh, it's a, uh, it's a very small amount. Back then it was all of it, but um, the, the progression happened. You know, once we established ourselves uh, as a uh, individual concert presenter, I think that uh, we did that for two years until we raised enough funds and got a cash sponsor, which was a, a private company pr to produce our very first jazz festival in 1984. So I'm curious about how the economics of something like this grows, because back then it was sort of the membership driving it. What drives it now? Well, um, actually, we um, have funding or grant support from various sources. We have uh, uh, corporate sponsors, and our, the title sponsor of our festival is uh, TD Bank, and uh, we've uh, uh, had title sponsorship with them for many years and as well we have several other corporate sponsors and we have uh, funding from all three levels of government and that is essential uh, in uh, maintaining the economic stability of our festivals. And because they rely on corporate sponsorships they have to be conscious of taking risks. Well, I think uh, one of the uh, things that uh, I've done to uh, maintain our growth is have a lot of patience, be very cautious in programming, don't be overly ambitious, uh, as you don't, uh, you know, you're, you're going to be relying a, on a lot on ticket sales, and you're going to have to really prove yourself uh, to the corporate world and and government sponsors of your legitimacy and the integrity of your programming uh, for uh, you to proceed with expanding your festival. I've always taken a very uh, conservative approach to expanding our festival. And uh, we tend to take baby steps rather than giant steps in the growth of our festival and that's how we've been able to maintain the longevity of our festival i mean we're going into our 36th edition of the td jazz fest international in victoria and then our blues festival is going into its 26th year so uh yeah the bottom line is still that bottom line. You've got to be fiscally very conservative. And as I say to other people have asked me, how, you know, how, what should I do to start a festival? Well, if you initially, if you do get some significant funding initially, just be very careful. I mean, you don't want to blow your brains out in the first year, lose money, and not be able to... Uh, have the ability to come back because you're gone through year one and you're already in the hole. And if there's a, uh, a word of caution to any uh, fledgling festival producer, grow slowly. Don't blow it all in one year. 
budget-wise and also identify your audience and give your festival its own identity. His approach has paid off because both the Jazz Fest and the Blues Fest have proven to be sustainable throughout the years. I think the longevity of our festival, 36 years, uh, speaks to the legacy and as well our ever-evolving um, roster of artists that we're able to present uh, within our festivals and throughout the year in, in individual concert situations. And my pleasure, personal pleasure, is always presenting a new artists, uh, either they're emerging or they've never been to Victoria, and having the audience positively react to the music that's presented to them. And that goes right back to my uh, days in the retail record business, is turning people on to different music. As well, you have to uh, uh, be consistent in your programming making sure you're attracting enough audiences, and then the corporate world will begin to take a look at you, and uh, hopefully you can uh, um, um, you know, gain uh, sponsorship opportunities with the corporate world. And as well, we rely a lot on ticket sales, like um, about 40% our revenue is, uh, comes from ticket sales. Unlike the Bicycle Fest, Jazz Fest is an official nonprofit organization. And one of the things I also emphasize the Victoria Jazz Society is a nonprofit society. So, you know, that, that's one of the first things that you have to do to become eligible for a lot of um, uh, government funding from, you know, any level, from the civic to the provincial to uh, national level. So they have more options for funding than a more DIY, small-scale project like Bicycle Fest. But they still want to make programming as accessible as possible. Well, our, 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 my philosophy, being the artistic director, has always been to make the music accessible to our audiences. And um, for us to do that... Uh, Within our festivals, the uh, Jazz Festival and the Blues Festival, we have a very high percentage of absolutely free-to-the-public programming. Um, I say free-to-the-public, the program is, but all our artists are paid um, a fee for their performances. We, And that's also a... Uh, one of the philosophies and the mandate of the Victoria Jazz Society. All artists that we present are paid at the minimum union scale. And um, the free programming uh, creates a lot of accessibility, of course. And, um, and then also in our ticketed programming, we also have to make sure that there's going to be... Um, a certain percentage of revenue returned on ticket sales. We don't always financially break even on every show we present. That's expected because there's always um, uh, a large percentage of music that is not too commercially or pop-oriented. That is uh, something that we are very conscious of, but 
my artistic philosophy is that we try and introduce as much current and new music to our audience as possible. And uh, um, a lot of our uh, audiences are exposed to, you know, the, the, the jazz genre through the Freeds of Public performances. Offering free shows is a really effective way to get audiences interested in new and lesser-known artists. Jazz lends itself to exploration, and they want to reflect that in the festival. Yeah, you're right there, and uh, I myself call it the sounds of surprise. And um, um, jazz, of course, um, is, uh, is a form of improvised music. And then we, you know, and then, you know, within the genre jazz, we have the avant-garde jazz. And um, that may be very alienating to a lot of uh, um, the general public. But we try to give people a taste of the more improvised music um, uh, uh, within our festival and it's all part of the jazz world and uh and we're not a commercial or pop festival and we um we do have our parameters and uh it's obvious the world of jazz which is a huge world and then uh the offshoot genres like blues and r&b music and even some roots music I've always had a passion for music, and it just so happens that uh, my passion for music evolved into the retail sector, then evolved into uh, eventually presenting live music. And uh, I find, still find great joy in presenting live music uh, in our city and as well introducing a lot of new music that otherwise wouldn't be presented in our city if it weren't through under the auspices of the Victoria Jazz Society. I'm always been a fan of uh, live music in Victoria, and the more live music and the more exposure that we have to different genres of music to Victoria is only a positive. One challenge Daryl says they have to deal with is finding venues that fit the specific event. Um, I believe, uh, in general, Victoria has a very small number of venues available to present live music, and it's even more of a challenge at times to present jazz music and its associated uh, genres uh, within our city just because of the nature of the music, especially heavily improvised jazz music. It is a challenge. It is a part of jazz, and it is a, a major component of jazz. So, yes, we are limited in uh, the size of our venues. And because Victoria has limited large venues, it's hard to secure big headliners. Major headliners now are costing upwards of well over 100000 up into the quarter-million-dollar range. And some of my colleagues' uh, festivals in the larger cities like Vancouver, uh, Toronto, 
Montreal and even Winnipeg have the ability to bring in these major headline artists because when you're paying to you know upwards of a hundred thousand dollars it's pretty hard to present them in our largest venue theater wise in Victoria and that's the Royal Theater so if you translate the fact that you're paying two hundred thousand dollars for an act um, that's even before production costs and all the other uh, costs associated with presenting a concert, then the math isn't very hard to do. You divide $200,000 into 1,400 seats, and you'll know how much you have to charge just to break even. And I am, uh, as I said at the beginning, I want to keep the music that the Victoria Jazz Society presents accessible and accessible, I also mean financially, and um, um, I'm, I'm struggling to keep our top ticket price below $100, but uh, sometime in the future, as with everything, prices go up. The festivals put on by the Jazz Society also rely on volunteers to run smoothly. Volunteers are an essential component in the production of all our concerts and in particular our festivals. Just the Jazz Festival, we utilize over 220 individual volunteers and they all put in, I think collectively, four to 5,000 hours of volunteer work for, well, the Jazz Festival. And then we have our smaller festival, the Blues Festival, which requires about 100 volunteers. And our individual concert series, they require anywhere from four or five volunteers up to, you know, a dozen or so. But they also rely on people taking the chance to experience something unfamiliar. I think people should take note whenever Victoria Jazz Society presents a concert, approach it with wide open ears and be prepared to listen to some great sounds, the sounds of surprise. Next, we spoke with one of the organizers behind CFUV's free summer music series, Eventide. Okay, so my name is Troy Lemberg. I'm the music director here at CFUV, as well as a local promoter in town through individually as the Action Index presents. Troy recently took over the organizing for Eventide. It's a project that CFUV has been doing for the last uh, six years in partnership with the City of Victoria and the Downtown Business Association, uh, which kind of works with other groups in town. Uh, originally, it was just the City of Victoria and, and CFUV. Uh, it's a weekly event every Thursday. This year will be on Wednesdays, where we showcase kind of the sounds that wouldn't be showcased on other summer events kind of thing was the idea behind it, that the areas of Victoria's mu music scene that aren't on the bigger festivals or at the folk festivals or jazz festivals would get a chance to perform outside in Centennial Square and to activate that space downtown. Uh, over the last few years, we've started working with curators to like kind of bring their own flavor and identity to each night. Basically, Eventide is a once-a-week music series that runs during the summer. It's completely free and happens in Centennial Square. Different curators choose the lineup each week. And they all are have free to get like their own lineup, but we kind of like definitely like impose like ideas on them of like trying to have like a more diverse bill or representation. Like if they come to us with a lineup that has like 
only all dudes and no other representative, we would be like, hey, you need to add someone else or change this lineup. So I know that's something that Alyssa, when she was running it as the operations director here at CFUV, like that was definitely something that she mandated with DARB in the city. And then that's something that we've continued and this year um, offering resources to those curators to help with uh, representation and getting people out there. Uh, this year, our one of our curators uh, who's doing an Indigenous night, Eli, is also providing resources to every other curator to like help get them have Indigenous like performers have a chance to perform throughout the series rather than just the one night. And one of the things that makes it different from other free nonprofit events in Victoria is that it's backed by the city. I feel like it's the fact that it's a collaborative effort from the city and us is like such an interesting thing and having them be so involved it's like definitely a lot easier than other festivals because the city is able to once you say you're doing something with the city you get stuff approved a lot faster like even like when we were doing like beer gardens or that kind of thing it's like oh the city approved this yeah sure we can definitely do this it's like having that kind of like larger organization involved like definitely cuts through some tape like in that and then for the curators like they kind of get free it's kind of exciting for them because like we give them a budget and they don't have to worry about the money at all. They can just bring in this really cool lineup that showcases the type of things that they, they're regularly bringing in. So usually it's other societies or other festivals or other promoters that we think are doing interesting things in town. They get a chance to like do another lineup, but they don't have to worry about the back end kind of thing of it. Troy says there are advantages to being a nonprofit organization when putting on events. I think it's more that come like, I guess for profit, you can definitely gear up money to bring bigger acts and that kind of thing, which is exciting for people with the name thing. But I feel like nonprofit tends to like help out community build a lot more. And I don't know, it just feels like you're able to be a bit more experimental or adventurous with what you're doing or booking. Uh, Cause you're just trying to try out new things to see what will work or see like if something didn't work one way another year, it's like, well, maybe we'll try this thing. Maybe it will do really well and like change how we do things and that kind of thing. So you have, you're trying to be a bit more adventurous in how you're, who you're bringing. And I think that's definitely true of like some stuff in town, like is definitely wouldn't exist in a for-profit area, which would be like the pretty good, not bad society in Victoria who they're like combining like, like experimental dance with like electronic music and like bringing acts that are definitely like as them as a grant based, like nonprofit, like they could only do with grant funding and not, because like, it's not stuff that would sell like a million tickets, but it's something so creative and interesting that like fills like a, a gap that people didn't know they needed. Because Eventide is associated with the city, they have had to be conscious of music accessibility and loudness. But Troy says they've had good luck so far. Uh, we had Casey's like Vancouver Island Metal Festival curate a night. And then Casey, cause, because of the city of Victoria's putting on, it was the first time that this was the first year they did it and the first year that metal had been in the centennial square and like uh darb the city was worried about like noise complaints possibly and that kind of thing so casey and his society like reached out to like made sure to tell all their volunteers and like everyone that like was attending it like hey if you liked this like let the city know here's some here's an info of a like question thing to fill out and we'll go to them them and Darb got like, I don't even remember how many he said he got, but he got like so many replies about like, love this, this is great, or I got to bring my kids out to this thing and that kind of thing. So it's just definitely like bringing everyone together to like do this one thing and like 
respond about like how great it was. And through his experience organizing, he's learned some important things. I feel like being patient is definitely, patience at an event and not stressing out about things is definitely something I've learned for the most part. I have had friends that like kind of burnt out from this kind of work. Well, especially even like at the festivals, like there's so much going on and like you're usually working with a bunch of people and trying to agree on things sometimes can be hard, but I don't know. I feel like just being patient and compromising with other people is definitely something you learn. The next person we spoke to was Ross Curry. He's a volunteer at CFUV, and he has experience working on lots of different kinds of festivals. We spoke to him specifically about his experience working with Atomique, the production company that puts on the for-profit festivals in town. Yeah, so I was, originally I had done some contracting there. Uh, I was just basically um, production assistant, so I was, would help some, uh, sometimes with the stage setup. And then I was helping out with uh, media. So I was kind of facilitating uh, social media posts, um, kind of doing general uh, coverage of their festivals and whatnot and their municipal events. And then I was kind of in charge of writing their newsletter for about a year and a half, almost, yeah. He started out working with Rithlandia in 2017. I think Riflandia has officially been going on 11 years. Uh, I think the last one was, uh, yeah, their 11th anniversary. And it started in 2008. But uh, I think they're recently, I think they have postponed uh, this year's edition and they'll be back returning in 2020. Yeah, and I think Atomic itself has been going on for close to 20 years, over 20 years almost. But they put on other events around Victoria too. Uh, they also do Rock the Shores, and they do the municipal events such as uh, Car Free YYJ and the Village Block Party, okay, as well as Canada Day. And unlike Jazz Fest, for-profit festivals have more money to secure popular acts that a nonprofit might not be able to afford. Yeah, I think uh, I think they, for quite some time, they had uh, kind of maybe a foothold on the major. Uh, festivals seen in terms of like art, which artists could be booked and I guess maybe more infrastructure to uh, host la- larger scale events um, but yeah I think it's difficult to say um, what impact that had on other festivals but I think they kind of had a pretty strong foothold on the music scene in terms of of um, just how much they could bring uh, to the city, in a sense. And Ross thinks that festivals like Riflandia are risking more than nonprofit festivals because they're putting a lot of money on the line. Uh, I think they're working with way larger kind of profit margins and there's a lot more risk in, you know, a a festival that's going to sell you know, like try to sell 10,000 tickets as opposed to, you know, a smaller festival that is not really trying to turn a huge profit, but it's maybe more grassroots. And I think once those other festivals kind of, there's a lot of moving parts in 
in something like such as Phillips Backyard Weekender or Rifflandia, and it's a lot more planning and preparation. It's not to say that these other uh, smaller festivals don't have that, but I think there's definitely a, a more of a risk, I guess. But Atomi grew from a small organization. Yeah, I think I think they originally started off like just hosting more punk and rock uh, shows, and I think just as time went on, they kind of would be booking more and more shows, and then those shows kind of eventually evolved into full-fledged festivals, and then there was, I guess, more infrastructure to put on more events and bring more uh, talent to the island. And I think, yeah, just obviously uh, the owners have had like a pretty good um, stance. Like they have a pretty good um, relationship with like other musical entities or the music industry. Mm-hmm. So I guess they would have just kind of continued to just evolve and, and um, put on larger scale events. He said some of the things that were most important for a for-profit festival, other than profitability, is relevance. You want to be able to do, obviously, turn a profit with uh, an endeavor. Like a, You want a festival to do well and be profitable, but I think in, the B- in BC's festival landscape, it, and you're competing with you know, festivals from across U.S. and across Europe, and I think it's difficult to kind of, you know, it's difficult to run a successful festival, I think, in this, this landscape. There are so many different festivals across BC every summer, and a lot of them have the same bands. So you have to stand out. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's difficult to, when you think of the summer festival season, that there's well-established festivals that have been, that have larger infrastructure and are selling more tickets and kind of have the, they're able to, you know, bring a high, higher caliber artists or art, artists that are more expensive. And that is kind of happening on set weekends from June to August. And that's, you're kind of competing with all of U.S., like larger markets, and then you're competing with pretty much all of Europe as well. So I think it's difficult to say, you know, it's difficult to compete with festivals that are already established in a lot of ways, but that's not, not to say that it can't, uh, you know, it can't be successful or it can't work, but I think it depends on what kind of festival you want to, you want to throw. And Ross said that big festivals like Rifflandia can offer a type of experience that a lot of people want to get out of a festival. I think that they can bring a certain kind of experience, like a larger scale experience that you might not um, be able to get with the smaller festival. Like I think that if you incorporate art installations and you're um, bringing in like an extreme diversity of artists and performers and you're mixing that with, you know, food, beverage, uh, I think that whole big festival experience is something that is really, uh, is overall a positive but it is, I guess, very much different than a smaller grassroots festival where you're, you know, it's spread out across two days and there's maybe only a, like a certain amount of artists mm-hmm. and it just has a much different vibe or atmosphere, 
about those kinds of festivals, mm-hmm. but I think it's maybe on the festival goer to kind of decide which festival is best suited to them. Yeah, a lot of people kind of use music festivals and maybe as an escape. They they just want to go attend a music festival and have the weekend off and enjoy themselves and not have to worry about working or any other issues that might become come about from that. But I think if you're working in the music industry, there's kind of limited amount of jobs that you can work. So I think it's also, you know, good to pursue those jobs as well. But I think it just, yeah, it goes back to what kind of festival experience, you know, you want to have. And and I think for a lot of people, you can, yeah, work festivals during the summertime and there's maybe more limited work in in the fall and other times. But and I think if you want to just attend festivals and go wild and go crazy, then, you know, that's also, uh, that's kind of what festivals are for as well. Ross thinks that the music landscape in Victoria definitely benefits from the events put on by Atomic. I think that you have a large student population here, and it's good to kind of have a larger scale event for the community. And I think Victoria is just kind of that borderline in, in terms of its population or size that, you know, it's not too small, it's not too, like, large and overpopulated, but I think there's... If you take into account the South Island and and Up Island, like I think it's good to have a large scale uh, festival that you can bring in larger acts and kind of create an experience around that uh, around that festival. Mm-hmm. And I think I think uh, Victoria will always have a, a very uh, you know dedicated music community that's going to be putting on smaller events and unique stuff is going to be happening, but. Yeah, I think it's. I don't think it's such a bad thing that there's a, a you know a larger scale festivals in town. But yeah, it just depends on kind of what direction they take and and how do they take into account their community. Also, there's a lot of people who do contracts for festivals, so these huge festivals also employ a lot of people. I think Victoria has a dedicated uh, kind of contingency of an audience that wants festival experience. And then there's also a dedicated group of people that want to provide that festival experience for the community. And, you know, stuff like Scoffest has been going strong for uh, 20 years. There's other, uh, Pretty Good Not Bad, had their festival for a few years. And uh, Atomic was doing their festivals. And, yeah, I think... The community wants wants to kind of experience something that is on a larger scale, like on most parts of North America and, and Europe. And I think it's something that the community needs. They need, you know, festivals and stuff to to engage with and and uh, you know have a good time and let loose and enjoy the music. So I think that's that's. Uh, an important aspect of our music scene, but I think it's at the same time it's very difficult to balance that with uh, state of you know our current our Canadian dollar, um, other issues that surround the music industry, and 
you know, having venues and stuff that's going to be able to sustain like a major festival in a smaller market like Victoria. And even though for-profit festivals do rely on corporate sponsorships and do have that commercialized aspect, Ross doesn't think having them around negatively impacts some smaller festivals around town. I think, I think it could be seen as that way for sure. But I think that there kind of needs to be a balance between um, larger scale events as well as more underground events and, you know, um, club shows or, or concerts. I think there needs to be a diversity in the scene that I think Victoria genuinely wants. I think it's difficult to just have a scene exist on just an extremely small scale. I think there needs to be some some kind of growth for larger touring artists or, you know, arena shows or bigger, you know, bigger ticket um, talent to come to the island. I think it's also important to have that, but it's also extremely important to have your local scene represented um, enough venues that they can perform at and making sure that those artists are, you know, getting paid for performing. They'll, you know, making sure that they're getting exposure in their local scene. I think it's also extremely important. I think it's finding that balance is, is difficult to do, but I think it's still necessary. There's a lot of different ways to run a festival. In for-profit, non-profit, or DIY, there's always going to be challenges that make it hard to keep a festival going. And what's clear after speaking with these folks is that organizers are trying to meet those challenges to create community, provide an experience for festival goers, and offer a platform for artists to reach new audiences. This episode of All Access was produced by Nicola Watts, with help from Ben Krymalowski, Aria Potanin, Chris Rajala, and Baraka. Our executive producer is Mary Decker. Thank you to all of our guests on this episode, James Davis, Daryl Marr, Troy Lemberg, and Ross Curry. This program would not be possible without the generous support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada and UVic Student Awards and the Financial Aid Work-Study Program. If you like what you heard, tune into All Access next week. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, give me your ear. Let's, uh... Let's pull back the curtain for a minute and check out behind the scenes of CFUV's podcasts. My name is Brendan McGee, and I am the producer of You in the Ring. There are a lot of conversations that go on in and around campus, and I feel like what You in the Ring was able to do is bring to the table this tangible story that could really get to the truth. And um, we had an amazing team that all got together every single month and we tried to you know like I said take these conversations and and then just just keep on going with them and running with them and it's like it's like for instance if you if you find a a hunk of clay and you're like okay this is you know just a hunk of clay and then you hack at it or you play with it a little bit and it starts trying to form into something you know and throughout the whole process of this project we kind of 
it was almost like we were passing the clay off to the group members and everybody in the group. And we were trying to see what each person could kind of bring to the table. And in that process, we were able to come up with these, you know, stories that, you know, really meant a lot to a lot of people. And we got to speak with some amazing people in that process as well that I could never have imagined to, you know, even think about talking to, which was really cool. I guess what I liked most about this project was really trying to, you know, push myself beyond what I thought was the finish line. Um, Whenever, you know, one of us would be like, okay, I think we're good here. Another one of us would be like, no, 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 like there's someone else we could reach out to and get another angle for this story or, you know, we could, you know, talk to this person and see how they felt about it, even though their maybe their perspectives didn't line with the group themselves. Um, and, you know, sometimes it worked out and sometimes it didn't. But what we got was, in the end, I think something magical and hopefully everyone is able to enjoy it. If you like this episode about festivals, You'll also love All Access's episode that gives you an inside look at some obscure venues in Victoria. It's called Natural Edgelord. <laughs>